my glory. I mean, don't waste your time. I have threatened in the past to walk off if there was any Star Wars reference on May the 4th. I've evolved past that. If you check our Twitter page, you'll see that I found an intersection between the NFL, the Cleveland Browns, Miles' favorite team, and Chewbacca, someone in a very elaborate Chewbacca mask at a Browns game. So I get the whole May the 4th thing. I've resisted in the past. Resistance is futile. I don't think that's from Star Wars. I don't know what that's from. Is that a Star Trek thing? What is Resistance is futile from, Miles? Do you know? I have no idea, Mike. I don't know. Good morning. May the 4th be with you. I, But yeah, I don't know what the hell Resistance is futile is from, no. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm going to look it up when I have a chance. It is, it is from Star Trek, so close enough. Close enough. Okay. Close enough. I am a nerd for knowing that. Thank you, Matt Casey. On one of the rare days that he actually shows up and works, he's firing <laughs> shots at me before we even Oof. get 30 seconds into the show. It is PFT Live. Chris Sims is... <laughs> That's well done. <laughs> That's well done. Miles is Grogu, uh, and I'm uh, the Mandalorian, although my helmet is off, so I'm no longer a Mandalorian. I am no longer a... I am no longer a... Uh, fit to uh wear the uniform once you take your helmet off that that's a hell of a commitment you put the helmet on and it can never ever ever leave your head that that is quite a commitment to the cause to never take off the helmet could you imagine that only that's ricky williams times ten thousand. Yeah, I was going to say, well, if only Dwayne Rudd had followed that, then, you know, the Cleveland Browns would have won their 2002 <laughs> season opener against the Kansas City Chiefs. So and maybe my childhood would have been a yeah. little bit happier, even though the Browns made the playoffs that year. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. The, the, the Browns winning a week one game that they otherwise lost in 2002, I don't think really affects your childhood all that much. That doesn't even begin to undo the trauma of being a Cleveland sports fan, at least a Cleveland Browns fan in those days. And it is funny. Every once in a while, there'll be a moment that reminds us of the Dwayne Rudd incident and how gratuitously or not, because there is some connection to reality, some current event. I'll mention it. Miles gets upset at being reminded of the Dwayne Rudd moment where he literally removed his helmet and threw it while the final play of the game was still unfolding, he thought he'd sacked the Chiefs quarterback. An offensive lineman picked up the loose ball and rumbled with it down the field. Flag thrown, 15 more yards. Field goal attempt, walk-off win by the Chiefs. That was a hell of a way to start the 2002 season. How old were you then? 12? Uh, I was just about to turn you know, 11. You know, it's funny. I was exaggerating, or at least I thought I was exaggerating when no. I said that. And it was, it was. I went over. I would have lost the Price is Right game, and I thought I was deliberately going low. You were twelve. You were eleven. Good uh, yeah. God, I was thirty-seven. I, was, I mean, yeah, huh. you were. At the at the time, I was ten. So that, that tells you. And a couple weeks later, I did turn eleven, and I got a bike for my birthday, and then I flipped over the handlebars and broke my arm. Uh, that was a great day for my mom. Oh, that's well. How'd you flip over the handlebars? Did you do the thing I did when I got a ten-speed bike, which was the thing to have in the seventies? I'm left-handed, so front brake left, back brake right, 
and I had a bad habit when it was time to stop of reacting with my left hand, front brake engaged, bike flipped over. I did that a few times before I finally learned, and there it is. Before I didn't do it. Before I finally learned right brake. Here you go. Here's the left here's the left brake. Here's the bike flipping over for miles. Balls loose. Was that John Tate? Big John Tate taking off down the field. Dwayne Rudd has no idea what's going on here. His helmet's in the air, his helmet's off. There's Butch Davis thinking we gotta win somehow. And uh, wait a minute, something's wrong. That is John Tate. Wow. Sorry, Miles. Wow. See, that yeah. is your Hail Mary play. That is uh, stakes slightly lower. And again, they did make the playoffs that year. So they it did. all worked out, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it did, I guess. But then they, they gave the Steelers all they could handle that the year in the playoffs. Kelly Holcomb's still my favorite Browns quarterback since 1999 because of that, if, with the exception maybe of Brian Hoyer, who is also a Cleveland kid. Um, but yes, to actually answer your question, that is how I broke my arm because I had a, I had just got a new bike. And my old bike, you know, when I was little, I would like go really, really fast and then hit both brakes to stop right in front of the house because that was really fun and it wouldn't do anything as Dwayne Rudd again fires his helmet there on the left side of the screen. So eventually I get this new bike, right? And I'm trying to do the same thing I did with the old bike, but the new bike has better brakes. So when I slam on the left wheel, you know, the front brake there, I go flipping over the handlebars and then I was just lying in front of the house with a broken wrist for a little bit. It was not a very good day. I mean, very the, impressive the that you great. told that story through the field goal, all the way through the field goal. Dick Vermeil and the Chiefs celebrating oh, the victory. There's Butch Davis doing the same walk with a slightly different <laughs> mindset. Dwayne Rudd actually was a Vikings draft pick. I had forgotten that. So Dwayne Rudd going to Cleveland and wreaking havoc on the Browns and young Miles Simmons. The precursor to the broken arm suffered when he did the same thing I did. Front break. That's the design flaw in a bike with anything other than the skid brake. The skid brake was, you know, you think it's something luxurious. I got hand brakes. Yeah, if you use the wrong one, there goes the bike, and you got yourself Mm -hmm. a problem. I mean, I wrecked my bike. It is amazing I didn't break any bones. I wrecked my bike all the time. And I would do really dumb stuff like ride it barefoot. And I remember, like, picking gravel out of my foot one time. I mean, just stupid things. Like, kids in the 70s. When you're unsupervised, you do dumb stuff. So there is something to be said about all the helicopter parents today that don't let their kids out of the house because when kids are unsupervised, they do dumb stuff. Like we were always putting ramps together. We wanted to be evil Knievel, if you know who that is. There's a good chance you don't. We wanted no, I, to I make that mean. bike fly. And, 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 we want, and we love the feeling of the bike in the air. We never really gave much thought to what happens when the bike comes down. Picking gravel off of your foot, that, that sounds like some real West Virginia stuff. Like, do you have some banjo music for that? I mean, that's, why are you riding a bike barefoot? That's so gross. <laughs> well, I mean, barefoot's gross generally, but in the early 70s, I mean, barefoot was just kind of way of life. Like, you know, your feet were constantly, you know, black from dirt and mud and everything. I don't know. It's just mm, that was... Okay. That was the way we did it back then, 50 years ago, before shoes were invented. All right, uh, let's get to it. It's been 50 years since the Vikings had a real franchise quarterback in Fran Tarkenton. They're still oh. trying to find one. And they're, they're, they're at a they're – a, a, a ch- I was talking to Paul Allen of KFAN yesterday about this. It, it is classic bird-in-the-hand dilemma for the Vikings. 
They have a guy who's good enough to make them competitive, but he's not good enough to make them shortlist Super Bowl contender, even in depleted NFC where the Eagles and the 49ers are clearly the best team. The Vikings aren't even good enough to get in position to be blown out in the division around by either of those two teams as of right now. So they have this quandary with Kirk Cousins, and he knows it. He knows that it's a strange time in his career and in his relationship with the Minnesota Vikings. He was available at the team's offseason workouts yesterday. Here he is explaining quite candidly the fact, Miles, that he needs to earn any future he has beyond 2023 in Minnesota. You know, you're always looking at the future. You're always thinking about different options. And I think everybody's got to do their due diligence. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this year and wanting to, you know, go out there and prove it again and do it again and, and play at the highest level I can. And uh, that's really where my focus is. I think in this league, there, there should never be entitlement. You always got to go play and, and teams can do whatever they want to do. That's their prerogative. So um, you just go to work, you do the best you can. And um, I'm, again, encouraged and excited because I do think I have a lot of good football ahead of me. So i um, got to go out there and earn that. But um, I feel I feel positive about the future looking forward. No, I want to be in Minnesota. Yeah, that's kind of a no-brainer. So uh, hopefully, you know, we can earn the right, you know, to do that. And I've always said that when I say I would like to be in Minnesota. You don't, you know, there's a lot of things I'd like to have. You know, you got to go earn it. So uh, uh, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Easy to be magnanimous when you got about $200 million that you've made during your NFL career, and he really has made a crap load of money. He really has. For a guy that hasn't won anything, a guy who's never been past the divisional round and has only been to the divisional round once in an 11-year career, he's doing all right financially. So the question is, <laughs> after he does all right financially this year, what happens next year? And, Miles, this is a dangerous game for both sides. I mean, if he stinks, no one's going to want him. There's a way this all plays out, though. And I was telling Paul Allen this yesterday to his chagrin. There's a way this plays out where Cousins has the kind of year that makes a team that thinks it has enough around the quarterback believe he could be the difference. And the 49ers would be the most obvious, but they may be on the Brock Purdy train next year. It occurred to me yesterday the Patriots could be a potential destination. If Mac Jones just doesn't get to where he needs to be this year, and the Patriots have the infrastructure, the coaching, the defense, the the players around the Kirk Cousins, that they could become attracted by the possibility of bringing him in, where they could elevate him. Some quarterbacks elevate the team, some teams elevate the quarterback, and Cousins is good enough that he could be elevated by a team that has enough talent. The problem in Minnesota, especially defensively, there isn't nearly enough talent to elevate Kirk Cousins, and he can't do it by himself. Well, and this is the thing about Minnesota, right? I think we don't know how good the defense is going to be, even with Brian Flores there as defensive coordinator. I think that that should make them that much better, right? It's sort of a, it's a similar way of the way I feel about Miami with Vic Fangio as their defensive coordinator. You add Brian Flores to that team and to that defense, it's kind of already elevates them past what they were last year um, with Ed Donatello as their DC. But I, I think when it comes to, you know, Kirk Cousins, maybe or maybe not being your quarterback of the future, as that nice graphic said there, Mike, I, I think you have to see 
what Kirk Cousins can do this year, right? There are really no excuses for him when it comes to doing well or not doing well within that scheme. This is another year that he has with Kevin O'Connell. It's another year that he has with Justin Jefferson, with somebody like a KJ Osborne. You add Jordan Addison to the mix. You already added a TJ Hawkinson. They have weapons, right? Dalvin Cook at running back. There are plenty of things that they should be able to do offensively. And when you don't have the excuses, I think Kirk Cousins is right when he says you have to go out there and earn the right to then continue to be the quarterback because the GM and the head coach didn't pick you to be the quarterback of that team. So you have to go out there with no excuses and earn it to be the quarterback of the future. And yeah, it was last year that Quasi Adolfo Mensa first-year GM of the Vikings, acknowledged we don't have a Josh Allen, we don't have a Patrick Mahomes. And that was regarded as a slap at Kirk Cousins. At one level, it was. At another level, it was a a pretty simple exercise in self-awareness. Not many teams have Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. In fact, it's only two. They have one each. And there's a short list of five or six true franchise quarterbacks now who are difference makers, who can help a team elevate beyond whatever the sum of its parts otherwise would dictate. And for the Vikings, hey, the defense is not going to be any worse than it was last year. It can't be any worse than it was last year. 13-4, and four, and they allowed more points than they scored. The worst 13-4 and four team in the history of the NFL – not that there's been many years that anyone could even be 13-4, and four, but you get my point. Let's say the worst 13-win team in NFL history. That covers a few years, more than 21 and 22. Now, at the scouting combine, after we interviewed Kevin O'Connell, Vikings head coach, who may be joining me next week on PFTPM, he pointed out with some degree of enthusiasm and effusiveness his belief that this was a very good thing that Kirk Cousins, for the first time since his days in Washington, would have the same person talking to him in the ear before plays during games. That continuity, something that had been lacking. It's a different person every year, every year. Now, same person two years in a row, Kevin O'Connell talking to Cousins. Cousins addressed the fact that he gets a second year in the same offense with Kevin O'Connell running the show. Here's Cousins addressing that topic from yesterday. What does the year two progression in the system look like for you? you well, the big one is like today running plays on air. Last year, I, I, they had to, you know, quote-unquote, hold my hand to call the play. Or it was like, I, I don't even know how to say this play. When you call it, I can't see it in my head, so I can't call it. So to be able to, you know, have the play come in and just boom, you know, call two plays in the huddle, let's go. It's just night and day from last year. Having somebody in my helmet for the second year in a row, I'm really encouraged by because there had always been that change. And while the system was many times staying similar, a different voice in front of the room and a different voice in your helmet, certainly there's still changes there. So um, I think that's a positive, too, to build that rapport with Kevin. I never really noticed this before. Maybe it's because he doesn't rip the sleeves off of every T-shirt like Derek Carr does. But Kirk Cousins is kind of jacked. Don't you remember the chain video from last year? I think we all discovered that. Yeah. You know, where he was on the in the plane and they had the chain going and whatever. And he's doing the weird white boy thing. Well, it was hard to see because he had it all tight. He had it all tight together. I'm just going to let that one go. He had it all tight together and you couldn't really appreciate it. He's a little looser right there. Right. Well, I mean, you know, now you you really know that Kirk Cousins is jacked, especially for a quarterback. All those quarterbacks, they're not uh, as jacked as they could be. 
You know, Will Levis is one of those guys. He's coming to the league. He's pretty jacked, man. And, you know, but uh, yeah, so is Kirk Cousins. Yeah, as Matt Casey points out, that means he would much more easily beat my ass if he ever sees me. But, you know, I'm, I'm, hey, hey, one of the things I'd forgotten because I forget things now, I am two years away, two years and almost a month away from legal protection against elder abuse, which means I can be even more of an asshole than I've been. And if anybody touches me, they get prosecuted for elder abuse. So that's the only good thing about having 60 not that far down the road. You didn't put the couple of words between ass and then hole like you were supposed to. You should have just gone with jackass. That's all right. Yeah. Well, I mean, all that means is that I have two more years to, you know, give you more elder abuse. Not that I really do, but, you know, sometimes you you deserve it. You have to, to your credit, to your credit, you have never physically abused me. I will give you that. <laughs> Even after I gave you dessert out of the garbage, you did not physically yeah. abuse me. Well, I did not know the dessert was out of the garbage <laughs> that day. And apparently Even after it you found out. out of Even the after garbage. you found out. Oh, yes, it was. Coffee grounds were all over, and I scraped them off with a spoon. It was nasty. That's not, no, it was no, straight no, out no, of the no, trash. Don't, 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 don't tell people that. No, 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 no. It was slated for the garbage, but it was not actually physically in the garbage. This is what I was told, at least. So I could tell there were no coffee grounds on it. Jeez. I it had a plate on top of it. It had a plate on top of it that had previously been in an ashtray. That is the truth. Okay, that's not the truth. Um, so, th- look, look, Cousins could be really good this year. And the, the narrative is set. You get to a certain point as a football player where you are who you are. Kirk Cousins is guy who will light you up at one Eastern. The bigger the game gets, he becomes aware of it. He becomes conscious of it. Some guys become conscious of it in a good way. Joe Burrow, bigger game. I'm going to kick your ass even more than I would at 1 o'clock Eastern. I'm going to show up when the lights are bright. For whatever reasons, Kirk Cousins turtles a little bit in those big spots. And that's the challenge. If you're the Vikings, sports psychologist, I don't know what you do. But you got to get this guy to not think about the stakes, the stage, the impact, the moment, what it means to his legacy. That's been the problem. And, and look, he didn't play horribly against the Giants last year, but still, fourth and eight game on the line, season on the line, short of the sticks. And I know Dexter Lawrence was in his face, but you kind of got to account for that pre-snap. It's not like it was the first time all game Dexter Lawrence was in his face. Move off the spot, get rid of the ball to Justin Jefferson. I don't care how many guys are covering him. I really don't need to see it. We all, we all remember this. And he had a little time there. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, Sims defends him and acts like Dexter Lawrence was Aaron Donald fighting through five-year-olds to get to him. He had enough time to get the ball down the field. What the hell did he think was going to happen? Throwing it there to TJ Hawkinson with the season on the line. So, yeah, he probably would shove me if he saw me, but he should shove himself. Watch this one more time. He's got time, and there goes Jefferson down the right side. Now, they say if he had held it another half second, K.J. Osborne would have popped wide open. Upper left, you saw Osborne coming across the field. I don't care about any of that. I care about 18. The guy who made the catch of his lifetime with the game on the line in Buffalo. Your season's on the line. You're at home. You need eight yards. You throw it to Justin Jefferson. That, yeah, I mean, I- you know, you I, I throw it to 18. When in doubt, yeah. throw it to 18.
Uh, I mean, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you brought it up. The Buffalo Bills game. It's fourth down. You need a play. Who do you throw it to? You call 18. I mean, I don't understand why you're doing anything else there. And maybe it is because the game that was at Buffalo that day started at 1 o'clock. So it just was, you know, free and easy Kirk Cousins. He understands what he has to do. And then he tightens up a little bit, you know, when the game is a standalone playoff game in the middle of the day um, in January. I don't know what the difference is, but look, I I totally agree with you on that particular play. It's fourth down. Everybody in the building should know that it's going to go to Justin Jefferson, but you got to throw it there anyway, because that dude is the best receiver in the league. Why are you even running a route? Why are they even telling TJ Hawkinson to run that little out route five yards short of the stick? I mean, unless he's a decoy, but I'm saying that's part of the the problem. Don't even give Kirk Cousins an option. Don't, but you're okay. So we drag a guy down there. All right, fine. That's one less guy that'll be all over Justin Jefferson, I guess, but still. You're going to tell a 10 year quarterback exactly where the ball is. I didn't need, I didn't need to see that. To the same degree, you didn't need to see Dwayne Rudd throwing his helmet. Although I, I should have expected when I sat down. That, oh, and there's there's Miles eating out of the trash. There we go. We knew we'd get there eventually. That's Miles. Mrs. En- Mrs. Enright. Mrs. Enright. All right. And Miles has never seen that episode. Miles' entire knowledge of the Seinfeld world comes from text messages and clips he's gotten from me on our PFT writers chain. That's it. Yes. You, you yeah. eventually will get the gist of the whole series from those clips, one at a time, one clip at a time. It's all going to come together in your brain, and if you ever watch it, it's all going to make sense. It's, it's mostly a show about nothing. I've also seen the uh, season seven of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm pretty sure that's the like Seinfeld reunion season. So that my knowledge of Seinfeld comes from that, and then, of course, these clips that get sent on the text chain that completely go over my head. So have you seen all of Curb Your Enthusiasm? Have you seen the whole, I have. The whole series? Yes. Yeah, I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. So why do you continue to resist watching Seinfeld? Why won't you watch Seinfeld? Because there's so much good stuff on television, Mike. And especially right now uh, when not the anymore. NBA playoffs not are going Not for now. On. Not for now. Not, well, what? there's a strike oh, now, well, so you strike. better stick yeah. with sports. Well, yeah. yeah, but that's part of it, right? I mean, everything that's going on with the NBA playoffs, I love. I am extremely engaged in that. So, you know, like I've missed the last few episodes of Dave because by the time the playoffs are over, usually, and they get done with inside the NBA, it's time for me to go to sleep. So I, it, it's actually past my bedtime a lot of the times. just wasn't last night because there was only one game and it was terrible. So uh, Seinfeld's pretty low on the list. It's about succession and nothing else right now but the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I, 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 I watch Succession, but I'm not as enamored with it as everybody else is. Woo. I think it's a little overrated. Uh, uh, well, you're overrated. Don't read that crap by Mike Florio. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, uh, moving on. So, uh, Crystal Ball, do you think Kirk Cousins is on the Vikings in 2024, yes or no? Yes, because I don't know who else they're going to target. It would have made sense, I think, for them to potentially target somebody like a Will Levis if they really thought that that guy was going to become a guy for them, right? I mean, Levis lasted all the way through the first round and into the early second, and they didn't, or a Hendon Hooker, right? I mean, they had chances to get guys if they really wanted them to sit a year and develop. 
Um, so at this point, I think it's going to be Kirk Cousins because I don't know what the better option is going to be unless it's like a Trey Lance. But even then, I mean, you're betting on nothing, basically, because we don't know what Trey Lance is and we're probably not going to see him very much this year. A couple of years ago, the past regime was lurking for Justin Fields. They got jumped by the Chicago Bears, or they quite possibly would have taken Fields if he had fallen to them. This regime, my understanding, not enamored with Levis or Hooker, if there was a way that things had fallen, that they had a reasonable shot at Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or Anthony Richardson, that might have been a different story, but they were gone by the first four picks. So that was that. And if they're going to add a youngster, it's going to be next year. A lot's going to be determined by the Vikings next year. And see, that's the problem. You've got to recommit to Cousins or you take your chance. Like, unless they absolutely fall apart this year and earn one of the top picks in the draft, which is highly unlikely, they'll still be competitive. They'll at least be 7-10 this year, at least. I would be stunned if they're less than that. They're not going to be in a spot where they know, okay, we, we can go get Caleb Williams or right. a North Carolina quarterback whose name escapes me currently. Um, so they're, they're going to be in a – they're going to have to figure it out. Drake May, you're right. They're going to have to, they're going to, have to renew their vows with Cousins again, another short-term Band-Aid maybe, or find somebody in free agency. Good luck with that. Trade for somebody. Good luck with that. Hope the Jets right. cut Aaron Rodgers and they can sign him and fully continue the <laughs> Brett Favre career arc. Good luck with that. I don't know how I would feel about that. Uh, I really yeah. don't. Yeah. I, I don't know how I'd feel about Aaron Rodgers with the Vikings. I, I think this is where the Brett Favre similarities end, hopefully in all respects, upon his arrival with the New York Jets, that there's it no further connection should. to anything Favre did or didn't do well in New York or yeah, beyond. I, I give, yeah, I get what you're oh, alluding to right I'm just there. talking about winning football games. No, I'm talking right. about winning football games, not wearing right. crocs. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think you know where the, the Vikings are, Mike. The, the Vikings are sort of where the 2020 Rams were at the end of that season, where you've got Jared Goff, and you understand that Jared Goff is taking you probably about as far as he can take you, but then you are, you know, really grateful that a Matthew Stafford becomes available, you're able to acquire him, and then you go win a Super Bowl. Uh, I, I kind of feel like that's where the Vikings are, because if they had a dominant defense then it's one thing, right? And, and you can get by with a Kirk Cousins who sometimes shrinks in those biggest games because if your defense is that good, you can hide him, right? That's the 2019 San Francisco 49ers where they hid Jimmy Garoppolo in the playoffs and then they make it to the Super Bowl. And who knows if they would have won if Garoppolo had hit Emmanuel Sanders. I tend to believe that Patrick Mahomes would have let a game-winning drive, but it doesn't really matter because he didn't make that pass. That's the kind of quarterback that I feel like Kirk Cousins is for the Minnesota Vikings. And so we'll see if they're actually able to get past that hump this year. I don't know that they will. And, you know, you mentioned the Rams. That's a potential destination for Kirk Cousins because of the connection to Sean sure. McVay, but they don't nearly have the help around him. San Francisco makes the most sense, assuming that Brock Purdy isn't their guy a year from now. There's been that connection all the way back to 2017. Kyle Shanahan didn't evaluate Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson in the draft because he assumed he was getting Kirk Cousins the next year in free agency. Along the way, they talked him into trading for Jimmy Garoppolo, or they would have a Super Bowl or two, I think, if they had gotten Kirk Cousins. And we would feel very differently about Cousins, not because of him, but because he gets plugged into this team because he's durable. All those injury issues they've had, he hasn't missed a game. 
in that yeah. same window. Hasn't missed yeah. a game. So durable, able to stay within the boundaries of what the offense dictates, and you let Kyle Shanahan basically be the kid on the sideline with the joystick or the game controller or whatever the kids use now to play those games. I say it like I don't, like I don't play Madden every day while I'm riding my exercise bike. But I remember the old joystick, the old Atari joystick. I mean, that's Shanahan on the sideline. He micromanages the quarterback. Cousins is perfect for that. He'll do what the coach tells him to do. If he ends up in San Francisco, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to be better with him. If he ends up in San Francisco, they will be better than they are now. And I think that'll be the dilemma next year for the 49ers and for Cousins and the Vikings, depending upon how it all plays out. Another quarterback in a similar circumstance where it feels like this is it. And I think there's a greater sense in Tennessee that this is it for Ryan Tannehill because they did get one of the first-round quarterbacks, one who slid out of round one just by two picks. The Titans were trying to get back into round one. They would have taken him possibly at number 11 if Peter Skoronsky hadn't fallen into their laps. Ryan Tannehill is there while Will Levis gets ready to take over. Tannehill asked yesterday what he thinks of the addition of Will Levis to the Tennessee Titans. What do you think of the addition of Will Levis? Yeah, hopefully he adds to the room. Obviously a talented guy um, coming off a great college career, so... Um, you know, we'll see when I get to meet him here in a few weeks. Is he next week, I don't even know exactly when. We've been down this road uh, before, so it's definitely a little bit of deja vu. Um, but like I said, um, Mike and Rand make those decisions. My job is to go out and, and, and try to win a football game. And every time I, I get, go out there and, and prep, uh, whether it's in an OTAs or, or week 15, you know, getting ready to go win a game. You know, you want to have a process about how you go, go about things. Um, Take your job seriously each and every day, knowing that nothing's given to you and got to go out there and earn everything. So, you know, that process doesn't change. You know, speaking of guys getting jacked, I mean, what's with all these quarterbacks getting the Takeo Spikes neck now? Trevor Lawrence has it. Ryan Tannehill has it. He never had that. He wasn't pencil necked, but he's got the he's got the Takeo Spikes tree trunk neck now. Where'd that come from? You want guys to be durable, right? It starts up here. I don't know. I was reading something about F1 drivers, and they really have to train their necks, basically, so because their helmets are so heavy, right? And they're, you know, sometimes when they porpoise, they go up and down, and, you know, whatever. You got to, like, make sure your your neck is right. So maybe Tua Tungabailoa should be doing some of that. I don't know. I don't even know how you train your neck. Shrugs? Whatever. I don't know. But I think that that might have something to do with it. You got to make sure your neck is all right. Mandalorian workout, wear your helmet all the time, never take it off. That's a way to do it for F1, for NFL, for everybody who's trying to strengthen their neck. But he's doing something. He's doing something with that neck. And there are several quarterbacks who are sprouting this giant neck. And, hey, that is one of the realities. What's Tua Tagovailoa trying to avoid? His head snapping back and striking the turf. You get those kind of neck muscles, that head's not moving when you get thrown around. And you're not getting thrown around. You're that Big, you're built like that. You're not getting thrown around by defensive linemen. You're not getting shoved to the ground. You're doing the shoving of people to the ground. And Ryan Tannehill has been very good for the Titans. Comeback player of the year in 2019, although Shereen Williams had a very <laughs> strong opinion on that. What's he coming back from? Coming back from sucking is not good enough. That's her opinion, not mine, but she felt very strongly about that. But he was comeback player of the year. He was a steal in a trade that brought him from Miami. Miami paid part of his salary for crying out loud. And I remember Sims, he pegged it right away. Mariota's out and Tannehill's in because it wasn't quite as clear at the time because Mariota was still right. second overall pick, fourth year of his career. Mariota's 
the guy. And the moment they got Tannehill, Sims was like, eh, I think it's going to be Tannehill. And it has been. But now it just feels like it's ending. It feels like this is it for Tannehill. And this year's about getting Will Levis ready. Next year, Levis is the guy. And Tannehill's going to go play somewhere else. Maybe Minnesota. I don't know how much better that makes the Vikings. I'm it's kidding, like I hope. Swapping. Well, it's just I'm like kidding, I swapping. hope. I, I hate to say this about Ryan Tannehill because I think he's better than this, but it's kind of like swapping the deck chairs in the Titanic, right? Like, what are we really doing? What are we talking about here? I just, I feel like similarly to Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill's probably taken the Titans about as far as he can. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, Ryan Tannehill really was a revelation in 2019. I mean, there is an argument to be made that he was a really good MVP candidate just based on the way he came in there, settled everything down with that offense, and then ended up taking them to the uh, 2019 AFC Championship game. Now they got up to nothing, and then Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things, and the Mahomes Chiefs end up winning that Super Bowl, which is one of those weird things that was talked about. I think McCourty was saying that in the draft, like trying to rewrite history. Don't know what the hell that was about, but regardless... Tannehill now has one year to basically say, hey, man, I can still do this. I can still be a good quarterback. Got a new offensive coordinator there in Tim Kelly. They're going to do some things differently, but that offense is still going to run through Derrick Henry. And if Derrick Henry is healthy, then that's a good thing. But the other problem with the Titans is, like, I don't know who they have that scares you as a defensive coordinator aside from Derrick Henry. Because Traylon Burks, I mean, he was okay. Showed maybe a couple of flashes. Wasn't all that healthy last year. Uh, Nick Westbrook, Akine, I think that's their second best receiver. So it's not going to be the easiest year for Ryan Tannehill to prove he is still that guy. Horrible spot for Traylon Burks last year, too. They trade A.J. Brown. The pick they get for Brown, they use on a new receiver. The whole idea of the draft is you want a winning lottery ticket. And it's a bizarro lottery because when you get a winning lottery ticket, what it means is eventually you're the one that has to pay out the jackpot to the player. But that's how it goes. You get a great player through the draft. You find a way to keep him. You don't trade him in for a new lottery ticket and hope you get another winner because at some point you got to pay somebody. You can't just keep swapping out winning tickets for fresh tickets and hoping to keep getting winners. It puts a ton of pressure on the kid, and that's what I feel bad about. And also with Tannehill, think about 2021. Number one seed in an ultra-competitive AFC. Three interception meltdown in the divisional round against the Bengals, and I feel like he still hasn't gotten over that. And I feel bad for him. He was very candid, very raw last year about his feelings, about this same time when he's at the offseason mm-hmm. workouts speaking very openly about what he went through. We care about the mental health of pro athletes now, at least we say we do. That's part of it, how you get over these horrible games. But you're right. It's like Kirk Cousins. It's like Alex Smith in Kansas City. Yes. Quarterback has taken the franchise as far as he can. And the sooner you recognize that and plan for the next level, the better off you're going to be. The Chiefs pulled it off, obviously. Titans trying to pull it off now. Vikings kicking the can and hoping. I I just feel like the Vikings are sitting around and hoping and waiting that there's some bolt from the blue that solves their problem at quarterback. And the reality is it just doesn't happen. 
The great quarterbacks are too few and far between. Fran Targeton's not walking through that door. Mahomes isn't walking through that door. Josh Allen's not walking through that door. None of the great quarterbacks are just going to show up. Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, none of them. You got to go find somebody. You got to get your own lottery ticket, and you got to hope that when you scratch it off, it's a winner. And having the infrastructure of Kevin O'Connell helps. But anyway, back to me. We should be talking about the Titans. The Titans. <laughs> we were, we were done talking about Lovis. the Vikings. They have their guy. I know. I'm still tormented. Allow me to be tormented. But the Titans fans should not be tormented. Look, they're getting a new stadium. They got a new quarterback. And they've dipped. They've dipped. They went from number one seed to out of the playoffs altogether. But they're in a position where even though the conference is very difficult right now, maybe they get one last solid year from Tannehill lay the foundation for Will Levis next year that's the best you could hope for if you're a Titans fan but the good news is hey we're getting a swanky new stadium so we can be distracted by that during this this time of rebuilding remodeling reloading re-whatevering yeah uh, yeah I, I think right now if you're the Titans you, you just want to win a playoff game they haven't won a playoff game since that 2019 run so that to me says a lot. I mean, they had a buy and they lost to the Ravens. Then they had, uh, then they were the number one seed, as you just alluded to. And then they lost um, to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals in that game when, as you said, Ryan Tannehill kind of had a meltdown there. So look, I mean, I, I think it's interesting what you can have happen with somebody who is like Ryan Tannehill. He's 34. He's going to turn 35 in July. He's obviously on the back nine of his career. And when it goes for quarterbacks kind of in their mid to upper thirties, it can go quickly. I mean, think about what happened with Matt Ryan last year. My gosh, it's not something that I ever want to see again, right? For Matt Ryan's sake, like let's let him um, be in effective retirement, even if he doesn't say it. So I, I just, they need that last hurrah Boy, you, with you, Ryan Tannehill. You worked, you worked really, you worked really hard there to not say they need to send him to the glue factory. You really <laughs> restrained yourself. I admire the restraint in not making the comment about sending Ryan Tannehill to the glue factory like they sent well, Matt Ryan last year. Well done. Because I don't, because I don't think that yet about Ryan Tannehill. I, I still think that there is some ability there with Ryan Tannehill where it just clearly was not there after two to three weeks with Matt Ryan last year with the Indianapolis Colts. They should have gone to Nick Foles way before they went to Sam Ellinger, but neither here nor there with the subject that we're supposed to be talking about. So whenever you talk about a guy coming in there like a Will Levis, you are maybe going to see him late in the year. And so the only way to not have that happen is for Ryan Tannehill to play at his best. And we'll have to see if that happens based on what is around him. And also based on if that uh, Tennessee defense is going to be any good or not. But the good thing is it's coached by Mike Vrabel and Mike Vrabel teams always seem to be playing above where we think that they should be playing because Mike Vrabel is that good of a coach. Yeah. And the key now is hopefully the general manager Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel are on the same page, unlike yes. John Robinson and yes. Mike Vrabel. The Malik Willis experiment from last year. Ryan Tannehill said deja vu all over again. Last year, they brought in Malik Willis. There was a thought, hey, he's the guy that is going to be the future for the Titans. And when he finally got a chance to play, Mike Vrabel quickly decided, no, thank you. I'll take Josh Dobbs, the journeyman who's bounced all over the place. I'll put him on the field for a couple of key late season games that will determine whether or not we make it to the postseason. That was the biggest indictment they could have had of Malik Willis. I think it's just a matter of time before yeah. he's not with the Titans. Unless they just keep him around as an emergency option. He's on a slotted rookie contract. They paid him his signing bonus. He's getting minimum salaries. Keep him there as the third guy. 
because you never know when you're going to need that third guy. And maybe he does develop. That's the thing about rookie quarterbacks, young quarterbacks who come in with expectations. You don't get many opportunities before you can get cast aside. And maybe he's a guy who can develop into something. And, hey, best-case scenario is they flip him for a draft pick somewhere else if he can show something in an opportunity that may arise if somebody's injured and Will Levis isn't ready or if Will Levis is the one who gets injured when he's the starter next year if Willis is still on the team. All right, one guy. This is back to the Browns. We started unplanned talking about the Browns, and we we finish this segment with a conversation about a former Browns quarterback. The number one overall pick in 2018. The future was bright. What a great start to the career. That Thursday night game against the Jets. It was awesome. Everything's looking great. Baker Mayfield comes in after Tyrod Taylor gets banged up, and they start winning, and they create a real sense of excitement in Cleveland, and they almost get to the playoffs that year. And then 2019, things were a little screwy. 2020, everything's great. The future's even brighter. And then it all falls apart for Baker Mayfield. Look, I think Baker Mayfield, now the Buccaneers quarterback, and the reason we're getting down this path is because Jason Light, the GM of the Buccaneers, was on Sirius XM NFL Radio this week praising Baker Mayfield, talking about how impressed the Buccaneers are with him, and they should be. This isn't a guy who has flamed out. This is a guy who hit bad circumstances two years in a row. 21, he had to go make the tackle after the interception against the Texans week two. Had to be a big shot. Had to be a tough guy. Had to go get his shoulder busted up, right? But that's the truth. If The whole issue in 21 was he injured his shoulder and he was too stubborn to shut it down and not play while the shoulder properly healed. Then last year, he's caught up in this game with the Browns. The Browns, I think, did him wrong. They kept him longer than they should have. He finally gets to Carolina late And Carolina was Carolina last year. Matt Rule gets thrown out the door. It was just a disaster last year. So the past two years for Baker Mayfield have been a disaster. He gets a clean slate, fresh start, takes a a bargain basement contract in Tampa Bay. I really do think, I really do hold out hope that Baker Mayfield can turn it around. He could be the comeback player of the year for 2023. (laughs) Yeah, he's going to come back from sucking too. Although he didn't necessarily suck that much when he was with the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, I think... His tenure with the Los Angeles Rams last year kind of showed that he can still be a viable option for you at quarterback. But, I mean, I don't know. Look, we saw a successful quarterback competition between a veteran and kind of an up-and-comer last year with the Seattle Seahawks. We were talking about uh, Geno Smith and Drew Locke. But otherwise, I mean, when we're talking about quarterback competitions, that's usually not a very good thing. Right, You have two quarterbacks, you usually have two backups. And frankly, I think Kyle Trask may or may not even be a backup, right? Baker Mayfield kind of looks like a backup at this point in his career. And he, that's a, that's not the worst thing in the world to be when you're a backup because it means you still can be, a, you still can have a job, you know, you can still be employed. But I don't really think that Baker Mayfield is going to take the Buccaneers to new heights, right? I, I, I don't see Baker Mayfield coming in there and being a Geno Smith type and leading the Buccaneers to a bunch of success uh, for various reasons. But I just, I don't, I don't really see that happening, Mike. Well, look, they're in a division that's wide open. They're in a conference that's depleted. Now I feel like the Falcons are the favorites in the NFC South after rolling the dice on B. John Robinson, who I think is going to transform that team into a contender. But the expectations are rock bottom 
for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tommy gone. They still have great players. They've got great receivers. They're expecting Rasheed White to become a stud running back. And, you know, there was thought that maybe B. John Robinson falls to them and they take him. So see you later, Rasheed White. <laughs> you, were, you were the three-down stud running back until we got B. John Robinson. But, no, he's the guy. He's the guy they have faith in. And they've got Mike Evans still and Chris Godwin. So I, I think they believe in what they they are capable of doing. The defense still has some potency. They love Kalaja Kansi, the pit defensive tackle who's drawn some comparisons unfairly to him, to Aaron Donald. But I, I just I believe that Mayfield can play like he did in twenty twenty when he got the Browns to the divisional round and they gave the Chiefs everything they could handle, as you well know. And then they started the 21 season, giving the Chiefs week one, same place, tough draw for the Browns right out of the gates. They gave the Chiefs everything they could handle again. And then that's when it fell apart the next week in the home opener against the Texans when he injured his shoulder and it all fell apart. He has matured, though. I think last year, the biggest development, the biggest reason to believe he can still have a viable NFL career, he shed... That punk demeanor, that entitled, jerk, mean, gratuitous, nasty edge that he had to him, rebel without a cause, whatever cliche you want to use, he got away from that. I think he's learned that that doesn't serve him well. He just needs to be humble. He needs to keep quiet. He needs to focus on his business. He needs to play football. And I think we could see him have a resurgence. I really do believe he could have a resurgence this year in Tampa Bay. Well, if anything should humble you, it is that tenure that he had with the Carolina Panthers. And not all of that was his fault, certainly. But when you don't have any success and then you're cut and you are a former first round pick and it ends up that you have to go to the Los Angeles Rams as a waiver wire claim. I mean, if anything should humble you, it's that. So, I mean, like I said, he, he had a solid tenure with the Rams last year. Um, that game against the Raiders, clearly a highlight. I was in the building. That was one of the most electric final drives you will ever see. You know, then he had that really nice game against the Denver Broncos on Christmas. That That's another thing where it's a feather in his cap and you can say, all right, this is something that maybe we can continue to go forward with. Game against Seattle Seahawks um, at the end of the season too. I mean, the Rams really gave the Seattle Seahawks all that they could handle in that contest. So, I mean, I... Like I said, I'm not excited by this quarterback competition between a Kyle Trask and a Baker Mayfield, but who knows? I mean, maybe it does end up like a Geno Smith versus a Drew Locke like last year and the Buccaneers end up being good and they can sneak into a playoff spot. And Dave Canales, offensive coordinator, who was the quarterback's coach last year in Seattle mm -hmm. to get the most out of Geno Smith to propel him to the comeback player of the year award. I'm telling you. And I don't know what the odds are for comeback player of the year. I guess, I guess uh, DeMar Hamlin's already won it. I mean, really, really. All he's got to do is put on a uniform and walk onto the field once, Seriously. and he's won it. So yeah. other than him, second place for comeback player of the year, Baker Mayfield has a shot to get into that into that win place show. I guess it would be place. So we got to get that straight since the Kentucky Derby's this weekend, right? It's win place show. Is that what it is? Second place I is think place. So. For horse racing, I don't know. Yeah, Matt Casey says it is. So win place show. You can place as comeback player of the year, and Hamlin is clearly the favorite because he is literally coming back from dying on the field, something that is truly unprecedented. At the time when the word unprecedented gets overused, that is unprecedented. This is something that's unprecedented in recent times. We're going to wrap up the first segment short of an hour. 
get Ooh. soft. I like to burn off half the show in one segment, but instead we'll be back with uh, a lot of him. And Miles may want to take this segment off because his favorite team, <laughs> the Ravens, we're going to hear from general manager, the team that once was the Browns, but is now the Ravens. We'll hear from Eric DeCosta when PFL Live continues right after this. 